Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Joining us on Grape Top Church Online, welcome. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Um, we are continuing our series on times, times, and to be honest, this has been, um, I just really find myself going back and forth and creating the content with this series because I feel like the Holy Spirit keeps leading it towards almost like a general direction. But um, today we're specifically talking about open your eyes. In this time of our life, we need to open our eyes. And I want to share these two scriptures before we get into the message. First is Proverbs 20:13. If you love sleep, you will end in poverty. Keep your eyes open and there will be plenty to eat. The next verse in chapter 20, verse 4, says, The lazy one does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. This whole message today we're going to be talking about the idea of preparing, anticipating, cherishing, and activating in our lives. And really, my heart in this is for us to reflect and see that we don't, we often don't prepare ourselves in the right seasons. We often don't prepare ourselves in the right seasons. Life is full of unexpected situations and we seem to never be prepared for it. Even though most of us spend our time daydreaming about the future with the thought of, it'll be easier then. You ever been worried about money, and but you really want something, and so you just get it anyway because you just think to yourself, well, in the future, I'll probably have more money. <laughs> I'll most likely just be better off in the future, so I'll just allow myself to be impoverished right now. <laughs> and then a couple years go by, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> It's almost like something's not adding up. And see, we are always so surprised and unprepared because we are never looking at the signs around us. We're never looking at the signs around us. And we are not paying attention to the present. We're always thinking about the past or the future. We're never paying attention to the present. And, and even when it comes to the future, we're not critically thinking or considering the future we're daydreaming about it y'all dig what i'm saying it's like even when you're thinking about if you're thinking about a future spouse do you spend your time thinking like i wonder how we're going to budget together i wonder if we're you know what our views are going to be on sharing a bank account i wonder uh, how we're going to critically process an argument or a fight no you're just daydreaming about how mushy-gushy the future will be with that person. You don't ever critically think about what is actually going to be going through. And my heart in, for today is simply for us to realize that it is time for us to open our eyes to what is around us. Open your eyes. And so we're going to talk about three specific things today, and it's some of this message is gonna really be like plain Jane stuff. It's gonna be really practical. But like we've been learning, it is actually incredibly spiritual to practically live out 
our faith and our lives as Christians. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is your necessities. And I really want us to understand the idea of anticipating and preparing. It is spiritual and wise to learn how to anticipate and prepare. It is spiritual and it is wise to learn how to anticipate and prepare. I want us to look at the life of Joseph. Joseph in the Bible, all the way back in, um, in Genesis, it's a story of this young man that, that was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. He anticipated seven years of plenty to be followed by seven years of lack. See, he, he anticipated. The dream was a really clear sign, right? <laughs> but even as the years went out, they were anticipating plenty. Sometimes we even get like the Holy Spirit's unction and urgency in our heart. Have you ever had like a, an articulated thought about something that might happen and you don't know where it came from? It's almost like this unction in you, like a gut feeling it's, it's almost clearly articulated. Sometimes you think, you're just thinking like, I just feel like something's going to happen. I just feel like something's going to happen. See, not only does the Holy Spirit try to tell us within our own spirits, but there's also a lot of clear signs around us. Even just like common, uh, common knowledge of life in our world has an understanding that our world is chaos and that when things are really good, it's most likely we're about to walk into some caca, right? Anyone that's been long enough knows. And, this, and it's vice versa. When your life just sucks and it seems like everything is going wrong, there's usually a turning point where it seems like everything starts to go right. And so for Joseph, while in plenty, he anticipated lack to come. So he prepared. Oh my God. <laughs> what, a, what a genius thing. He anticipated, and so he prepared. His simple preparedness. It wasn't this, this frantic, fearful preparedness. It was uh, what they literally did as he was leading Egypt. They, they withheld a percentage of grain and food and all of their resources, just a small percentage, to be able to carry them over for the times of lack. See, a simple thing done in plenty prepared them for the time of lack. And that preparedness not only saved his own life, it saved his family's lives, it saved his entire country, it even saved his, his neighboring countries, the, world, the known world around him. Think about that. Because of one man's anticipation and preparedness. So now, I want us to look at our own lives. I want us to take a moment to realize that when we follow this example of Joseph and we try to walk out our faith our lives with the sense of anticipation and preparedness first in just the practical world around us our necessities it not only has a potential to save our life but our immediate families even even our city it, like think about how powerful it is for this man to show us an example of preparedness y'all dig what I'm saying and so first, like I said, this is going to be real plain Jane stuff here. First, we must learn how to budget and save financially and materially. This is an aspect of, of 
godliness to learn how to budget to budget and save financially and materially. Living paycheck to paycheck is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Anyone that's lived paycheck to paycheck, you know that it's not sustainable. And especially when our world is ever changing and filled with chaos. And let me pause for a moment. I, I feel like there's been plenty of times when I was like dirt poor, super broke to where I was selling my stuff to pay for electricity. If, it, if you've had to sell items to pay for your, your bills, like sell property of yours to pay for your bills, then you've experienced poverty. <laughs> you've experienced a, a level of brokedom to where living paycheck to paycheck is not even like, it's not a choice. It's like, I'm freaking broke <laughs> and it's really hard right now. There's sometimes we're like, that's a, that's just like a season of life that we're in. There's other times where we really have to critically think, what can I do to get out of this? You, you have to really look at your bills and see like, like where you really have to cut. Like for when you have a little bit of cushion and you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're trimming what's called trimming the fat. And you're like, well, I don't really need a thousand megabytes of my Wi-Fi. <laughs> I guess I could trim it down to this much. But when you're like really, really struggling, you have to start looking at like, you barely were able to afford Netflix. You might have to just take off Netflix, <laughs> like, like live on YouTube for a while. You, you have to, you have to really think about even when you're going to store, do I need uh, liquid soap or can I get by with bar soap? Like you're talking about real cutting. And some of y'all are either having flashbacks or realizing like how extreme I am. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that you, when, it, when you're in that kind of situation, you have to look at everything within your control and see what you can do about it. When it comes to like your spending and then when it comes to uh, what you can do for means of money. Uh, uh, right now, job market is kind of like crazy passing McDonald's and seeing like starting at $13 an hour. I'm like, where do I sign up? <laughs> and we're at like a, a weird place in the workforce and our lives with everything that we've experienced. But there's also a lot of opportunities, even if you're, you already have your job working full time. I mean, sometimes it's really, when it comes to getting out of that paycheck to paycheck, it's putting in the grind. It's putting in the hustle. It doesn't mean you have to do it forever, but you have to really just take hold of your life. I mean, I'm talking from when I was selling my stuff, I was grinding driving for Uber. If you've ever drive for Uber, it's not uh, very consistent. There'll be times I'll be driving right after church, get a, get a little bit of time to eat lunch, be with my kids, and then at five o'clock go driving for Uber till two o'clock in the morning. You're talking about grinding, having to prepare a message, preaching a message, then go drive and pick up a bunch of people from the bar. Not, uh, not incredibly fun when you're tired and have kids at home, but sometimes that's just what you have to do for a season to be able to pull yourself out of living paycheck to paycheck or pull yourself out to be able to live paycheck to paycheck. You're just tired of selling all your stuff and you're run, running out of things to sell. You know, you just have to learn how to put in the grind and understand don't think about it too hard. You just have to do this right now because it is not sustainable. What happens when you're li living paycheck to paycheck is 
when you survive that way, again, it's surviving. It it's, doesn't feel like living. You, you're living paycheck to paycheck, week to week, and you will most likely have to go into debt in order to patch a disaster. That disaster could be as simple as needing a new tire. Not even needing a new set of tires, just needing one tire, and you're like, oh my God, like I need a miracle. And when we're living paycheck to paycheck, and we're not critically thinking about where we're at, what do we have to do? Go into debt. And then you're just, you're going even more into a hole of living paycheck to paycheck because you were already surviving on a weekly basis, maxed out. And now you added, oh, it's only $30 a month. It's only $50 a month. Dude, when you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's like blowing your brains out. It's like, oh, where am I going to find this? And you have to really critically think, I need to learn how to survive now because I'm not gonna be able to pull myself out of multiple disasters. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So if, if that's how it is just for a disaster, what happens when the disaster, that disaster affects not just you, but your entire city or your entire state or your country? What happens when it's not just about the money, but availability? Most of us, are used to and been raised in the American lifestyle of comfort, opportunity, excess, surplus, but we have to take a sobering moment and consider the possibilities of crisis. If this last year, year and a half, has taught us anything, it should be that normal, our, our normal can stop in the moment of a single day. Anyone remember when they first announced there was a pandemic and you just kind of felt confused? And you're like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what is that going to... And then, and all of a sudden you start hearing how the grocery stores are empty. And you're like, why why'd that happen? <laughs> and people are freaking out just to get toilet paper. Thank God that, that our country is so rich that our biggest concern for, for some was toilet paper. I mean, that's, that shows how, how incredibly wealthy our country is because even in all crisis, like our, our freaking out was also when nothing necessarily happened yet. The grocery stores were empty, not because there's a breakdown in our system, but because everyone just freaked out. Imagine if there actually was a breakdown in our system. Imagine if just like last, uh, what this this year where it snowed in Texas and then it was actually a real breakdown in our system. What do we do then? And what I'm getting at is that a crisis can immediately change our way of life for a long period of time or even forever. And we have to learn, we have to learn how to really be a little bit more prepared. My heart broke for so many people that were without water, without food. You know, I remember even Terry sharing with us, I was asking, like, are you doing okay? Sharing how all of his stuff went out, but the, what made him so blessed was people that cared about him bringing him food and water. And so thank God we, we live, you know, currently in a world where people care about each other's needs. That's the way the church is supposed to operate. But... I, I want to just urge you for a moment because if we experience 
nominal crises like that, multiple within a 12-month span. I feel like the when it first happened, the grocery stores were empty. I remember going to the store, not only having my two babies, but also having uh, three foster kids at home and, and just not really having that many groceries at the time because we just would go you know, from every week or every two weeks. And going to the grocery store to try to get things and seeing it was empty and having a complete fear come over me, thinking, how am I going to feed my family? I came home with the most random canned goods, <laughs> like the only ones that were left, the ones that nobody wanted. <laughs> and Lauren's like, why the hell did you get this? She didn't say hell, but for exaggeration purposes, for suspense. And I'm like, you, you didn't see what I saw, <laughs> okay? And I remember that immense fear of how am I gonna take care of my family? And so if that happened, after that happened initially, it's like, well, that'll probably not happen again. And then when it happened again, like more than once, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is kind of uneasy. I don't have as much security within myself in my surroundings. And today I really am urging you as a fellow believer, I have the same basic needs as you. I urge you to, to be open to the idea of taking an inventory of your preparedness now and fill in the gaps to be able to survive at home for at least two weeks for something unexpected to happen. The reason I'm, I'm urging this, this has actually been impressed on my heart for a long time. And I truly feel convicted within myself if I were not to, to share this thought, this, this biblical idea to you. In no way am I trying to impose fear I'm not trying to say, I think something's going to happen, guys. But it might. I don't know. And in no way am I certainly not trying to impose a political idea. All I am saying is that in, if just in our city, we were shut down and unable to even get groceries more than once within a 12-month span, that that should trigger us in a way to, to be more prepared. Think about even within our lifetime, think about how our grandparents were lived in the, the Great Depression. When I, when you, could you even imagine what that would be like to where you can't even get bread, like to where things were rationed? If anyone has grandparents that lived in the Great Depression, they're usually hoarders. Have you noticed that? It's because they lived in extreme lack and it messed them up, dude. <laughs> they keep everything now. You got a grandma that, did, that pours out ketchup packets into the ketchup bottle? Yeah, it's because they know what it's like to not be able to get ketchup. They ain't messing around. <laughs> See, if just think about for a moment that that is within our, our touch point. Like we know people in our country that have lived through that. And, and I'm just urging us to consider a level of preparedness to anticipate chaos just simply happening in a world full of chaos. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so... In closing, I want to just share that I care about both your spiritual needs and your physical needs. And I would feel convicted within myself if I were to remain silent on this topic while we were living in plenty right now. I want to share the last verse on this point. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you lazy one. Observe its ways and be wise, which having no chief, 
officer or ruler prepares its food in the summer, plenty, and gathers its provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, you lazy one? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come in like a drifter and your need like an armed man. It's, it's saying like an armed man, like a drifter, when you least expect it. And this, this idea about the ant, what it's saying with no ruler, with no chief, it prepares. It doesn't have to be told to anticipate. It simply does. It's, a, it's, it's way of life. It's its instinct. And the Bible is telling us, learn from the ant. Learn how to anticipate. Prepare in plenty so you be prepared for lack. And so I want to just share some really just basics uh, for starters before we go on to more spiritual stuff, right? I just came here for the spiritual stuff today. What is this crap? I want you to just take this idea for starters. Again, take what I'm saying. You can take it with a grain of salt. You can take it full heartedly. But for starters, if you don't know what to do, get the foods that you normally eat but in excess amounts. So you don't just go and buy a bunch of random canned goods that you would never eat anyway and are just gonna go bad if you don't get to it, but get foods that you normally would eat that have shelf life. For example, if you usually get three cans of green beans each week, next time get five and learn on your own what foods last longer and how to store properly. Build up, uh, so that's for food, Second, build up a water supply, preferably not bottled because it's, it's wasteful and it doesn't have long shelf life. And for emergency purposes, you want to have uh, at least one gallon per, uh, an, around one gallon per day per person. And again, we're trying to think about for 14 days. So that's, imagine having just stored water, 14 gallons in your home, just in case. And, and I feel like if I said this a year ago, this would have been a really crazy sounding message. Like, why are we talking about this? When it snowed, we couldn't even get water. And those who did have water were on a water boil. I mean, I'm talking about, I remember hearing stories of, of moms needing to feed their baby formula and having to melt snow to be able to make formula. It's, it's my heart, that, that breaks my heart. Imagine the fear, the worry, not knowing when it's going to end, and that's just for water, something that we waste every day. All, the reason I'm urging this is just so that we could be prepared for something like that. It, and I want you to think critically on what you need and what you would need to live for two weeks at home without going anywhere. What would you need? And I'm not talking about lavish. Like I'm not saying that we all need to get generators. <laughs> I'm saying, what would you need? To and, and act accordingly. Don't feel scared at this message. I'm not saying anything's going to happen. I'm just saying that we should learn to prepare. Don't get scared and all of a sudden go to the store and try to get everything at once. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Make a plan and get things within a reasonable time and in a reasonable budget. That's all I'm, I'm suggesting to us. Because if living financially week to week is is just waiting for a moment of disaster to throw off our entire lives. It's the same way with food and water and our basic needs. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So 
with that being said, I want us to go to our next point, which is your relationships. Your relationships. Meaningful relationships should be prioritized and invested in. Meaningful relationships should be prioritized and invested in. Let me share this verse, these verses with you in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9, starting in verse 7. Go then, eat your bread and happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already proved your works. See that your clothes are white all the time, and that there is no lack of oil on your head. Enjoy life with your, the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life. <laughs> I love how Solomon talks in this. Enjoy your days with your futile life, <laughs> which she has given you under the sun, all the days of your futility, for this is your reward in life, and in your work which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity, planning, knowledge, or wisdom, and Sheol where you are going. Just saying in death. So aside from God in his presence, what Ecclesiastes teaches us is that meaningful relationships are the most valuable thing we can experience and have while on earth. They are the only thing that bring real happiness and even fulfillment. If you've ever read through the book, book of Ecclesiastes, it can actually mess you up the first time. I remember w when I was working on base in a mechanic shop, there's a room probably a little bit smaller than this. And I would work from about five in the morning to five in the afternoon. And I don't know if it was just like me going crazy in there or what, but I remember reading through Ecclesiastes and it's talking about how futile our life is. <laughs> and I started realizing like, oh my gosh, I spend literally the majority of my day in this room. If I were to stay at this job for 20 years, 20 years of my life would have been stuck in this box. And I started like, like getting real like, <laughs> like, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> But what I learned is that the thought, I would start thinking like, well, what if I hit the lottery and I, I didn't have to work anymore? Have you ever thought like that? Have you ever really finished that thought? What happens if you buy everything that you wanted to buy? You get bored. <laughs> everything at first seems exciting, but everything gets boring and old. See, Solomon had everything. He's one of the richest kings in the world in, our, in all of history. And had everything within his grasp. And that's when he wrote Ecclesiastes. This most like sobering book of how everything is useless. Everything is vain. Everything is futile. Because he had everything. And yet it didn't bring him the happiness to, 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 to go on. And what I've found in this book is that everything grows, grows tiresome. Everything gets boring. Everything gets old. The only thing that lasts, and in this book, the only thing that he doesn't say is futile, is relationships. There's a, there's a verse that says, talks all about how uh, that two is better than one, and a three-braided cord cannot easily be broken. And this verse, it, right before this, is talking about how useless life is, how, how even uh, uh, everything in life is uh, vanity. And then here, it just randomly says, so in after saying everything is futile, it says, so enjoy life. <laughs> enjoy life with eating the bread on your table. Enjoy, enjoy the wine. Always let there be oil on top of your head. What it's saying is allow yourself to be in the moments and just make the best of it. Like at my home, 
I don't ever like using paper plates because I think if this was my last day on earth and I have these nice plates in the cabinet, why am I going to eat off of this styrofoam plate just because I don't want to wash it? I'm like, I want to enjoy my last meal. <laughs> I want to enjoy this day. That's why it's saying put oil on your heads. Like live each day like it's your last. Just be, just be in the moment of today. Let today be today. Be present. And then it says enjoy life with the wife whom you love all days of your futile life. It's saying that your relationships, those closest to you, those you care about, that that is where happiness is found. And I want us to think about this idea because I'm, I'm urging everyone here to consider your relationships. Even if one were to have unbridled success, everything that you set out to do, your life's missions, all your hard work, and you just had unbridled success, made it to the top in whatever it is that you're, you're attempting to achieve, and you have no one to celebrate that achievement with, you still carry loss with you. Have you ever had a moment of victory? It may be something you can think back in high school. If you ever, you were in a football game. For me, I was in wrestling and I didn't have any family ever go to any of my matches. And even when you have a victory, it seems like you still lost when there's no one to celebrate it with. When those that you care about aren't there. Y'all get what I'm saying? Let that show us that even as adults, as we're striving for success, striving to make that bread, that even if we get everything, but we lose our relationships in the process, we've lost. And we often put our closest relationships aside as we chase after vanity, the vanity of this world. This book of Ecclesiastes should teach us that everything is truly futile in the scope of the entirety of our lives. These current moments, these relationships are the most valuable. Imagine if rather than giving everything in this world the best of our time and energy, we give the best of our time and energy to the jobs that we hate, to, to education that we can't wait to be rid of, finished with. You know how many times as a youth pastor, parents would go back to college to, to set an example for their kids in high school? And their kids would confide in us as youth pastors about how, how much they just don't feel like their parents care about them anymore because they're just pursuing college. And their parents would always be like, I just got to do this homework, mijo, I just got to do it, okay? I can't go right now. And they're just so fixated on finishing this education, finishing this project. And all of a sudden they, they finish school about the same time their kid is ready to graduate. And they have an epiphany that they lost the very last four years of their kid ever being at home with them for most, you know, for some, <laughs> some people, some kids stay for a long time after they graduate. But a lot of those kids would be moving off to college or going to start their own lives. And their parents would just be so broken, so heartbroken because it just seems like they, it was like a glimpse, like all of a sudden they, they were gone and they wasted the very last moments of time they had with their kids. I want us to grasp that instead of spending our time and energy in all these other places, why not give the best to your loved ones first? Why not give the best to them? Why not give 
your spouse the best of your time and energy. Why not to your kids? We plan, we budget, and we bleed and sweat for the things that don't matter, for things that will fade away one day. But when people are on their deathbeds, what do they ask for? Give me my TV remote. No. So where, where's my grandson? Where are my kids? They're, they're literally asking for the relationships they value. And the best way to live your life with no regrets is by prioritizing your relationships with unwavering importance. In the moments of death and tragedy, you'll be looking back at, you won't be looking back at lost time, but rather you would be looking back at well-spent, pleasant memories. Y'all dig what I'm saying? You know, right before we moved here, God, when God impressed on uh, our hearts to, to move and start a church, I was, like I shared a minute ago, I was working on base, had a really nice job as a jet, jet engine mechanic, and I had no mechanical skills, so it was really a blessing. <laughs> so next time you get it on a plane, think about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I remember I had made this, this great budget and plan to be able to save you know, X amount of money before we started this whole new venture to move to San Antonio and start a church. And we were going to have a nice cushion and everything, and God put it on my heart to quit my job. And I had to pray about it for a long time, guys. And I was asking the Holy Spirit why. And the Holy Spirit impressed on me to be able to go back and work at my dad's shop so that I could spend those last couple months with him because I wouldn't be able to spend that time again with him. In a similar sense that just like leaving high school, you're never going to have that time as a teenager with him. That's what God impressed on my heart to be able to have just that last moment of being able to just have a day-to-day -day life with my dad. And anyone that knows me from high school knows that me and my dad never had a good relationship. And in those last couple months, I ended up doing it. And even though it was really scary, the day that I quit my job, I remember I had to go and pray three times in the supply room on my knees crying. <laughs> and then I put in my two weeks and, and, and it was terrifying. But once I, now that I look back, those couple months strengthened me and my dad's relationship to where even in the same town, we could go months without talking, seeing each other. Now, I feel like I have to call him every day. He really, that like, that idea of like a good relationship with my dad like really happened. And it, it was in that moment where I decided to put what's important first. Something that I'd never imagined to be possible with my dad and a close, someone that should be close to me. And now we have such a great thriving relationship. And I urge you to take an inventory of your life and look at what relationships should you be cherishing? What relationships should you cherish? I want us to go to our last point, and that's our faith. Growing your faith doesn't happen by accident. It happens with action. Growing your faith doesn't happen by accident. It happens with action. Let me share this verse with you. It says in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 3, verse 10, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with silver, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet only as though through fire. I wanted to share this verse because I feel like it's very sobering when it comes to our faith. Paul is talking about being a minister and what kind of messages and content he's giving to people to build up their faith. So he's talking about a church that could be built, the church could be built up by a minister that's teaching with hay and straw or a minister that's, being, uh, that's ministering with silver and gold. He's talking about like doctrinal truths. So that's, I guess, why we're not so encouraging today, right? <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that you do not have to wait to build, to, for someone to build your faith. But you are responsible for your own faith. One day a week, one day a week we have church, aside from like our reachers groups and other like things like that. But one day a week we have church. That's 52 times a year that we set aside about 90 minutes for our faith. If, if you are not doing anything on your own, if you're not praying on your own, reading the Bible on your own, trying to seek God on your own, 52 times out of one year that you spent 90 minutes each of those days. That is, what, just a little bit shy of two months out of the year that you, you went to one, one class to grow your faith? That, that would not be sufficient for anyone to grow in any kind of capacity. I'm urging you to put an action to your faith, to activate your own faith, because truly, you're, when, you, when you do, you experience levels of growth and power of the Holy Spirit that is so much greater than just an ordinary Sunday service. I mean, think about, I'm not trying to highlight myself, but guys, I've quit all these different drugs. I've changed my life. I moved here to start a church. Why would I do any of those things? Why would I put my family at bay? Why would I, why would I sell my stuff to pay for church rent? Why would I do put through so much trauma and like hardship if the Holy Spirit's power wasn't real? If the Holy Spirit's peace wasn't true? Why would I go through all that crap and still tell you like, God is good? If it wasn't real. And so I urge you to, to look at your faith and to take it serious. Our faith is the biggest thing that we, can, that we put off tomorrow. We always put our faith off for tomorrow. Just think about how long it took you to start going to church. We always, always, always tomorrow that we will start to read the Bible ourselves. Always tomorrow or next week that we'll start praying more. Always next month I'll get back into church. Always next year I'll start living different. I'm going to wait till January. Like it'll be like my New Year's resolution to change things. Why? Why do we keep waiting and putting things off? To those of you who know Jesus, 
you call yourself a believer. I urge you to stop wasting time. I urge you to stop wasting time. Stop making up more and more reasons of why you can't today. And give your faith everything you've got. And make some real moves and actions in your faith. It's time to stop playing games and take it serious. Let's take our faith serious. Let's make our faith strong and ready for battle. You know, I always think it's funny when, when preachers and Christians talk about like ready for battle. Because most Christians' battle is like just getting a raise at work. It's like so minuscule. I, I almost, you know, critically scoff at the songs like, like, and you have a head of my enemies. God, you go before me in battle and get me the victory. And some of those songs I think of is like, what are they talking about? <laughs> What's, what battle are you going in that you're literally imagining beheadings? What, are, is your faith that activated? <laughs> or is it more so you're just, you're just tired at work? You feel unmotivated. It, and you, uh, maybe it's just you want to get that car or you've been waiting for that spouse. Go and behead my enemies, the, daemon, the demons that are keeping my husband from me. What, we have some crazy ideas of what we fight our battles with. But imagine if you activated your faith and you start praying for your city. Imagine if you start praying for your family. Imagine in your prayers when, you, when we think about battling, we're not just saying, God, fight my battles. We're saying, God, send your angels to fight the spirits of addiction, of alcoholism, of murder in our city. What if we start praying like that? God, break the ties of homelessness in our city. Help break that so that people can find life again. Destroy the works of, of meth addiction in our city. Imagine if we prayed like that. Rather than like, God, help me in this day just to feel better about myself. I've been feeling insecure and I just want to feel good today. Let today be a good day. Let, let us pray with intention like we're ready for battle. But how do we do that? How do we get the unction and the motivation to pray like that? By activating our faith. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And to those of you who would say that you're far from God, I urge you to get closer to Jesus more than anything else, even repentance. Even repentance. Some, some of us here, we're thinking like, pray for my city, like I'm still struggling with all this. I, I urge you to just get closer to Jesus even more than you think about repentance. Because the closer that you get to him, the more of the work he does on the inside of you. Right now, you do not want to do the things of God because you do not know God in his heart. You are far from him. You, you may know about him, but you don't know him in the, in the spirit of like experiencing him. But if you get close, if you get close to him, your desires will begin to supernaturally change. Let him do the work inside of you rather than trying to get it right first. I thank God that I... Gave my life to Cres uh, to Creases. <laughs> I'm less distic, okay? <laughs> Gave my life to Jesus before ever going to church. Because I didn't have I didn't have the burden of having anybody at church telling me to get right, get right, do this, do that. I was just ignorant. And because of my ignorance, not knowing anything, the Holy Spirit would teach me. 
all of a sudden I just started desiring things differently. The closer I would get to God, I would just read more, pray more. I didn't even know what I was doing. But the more my desires began to change, all the way to the point where I stopped doing drugs, no one told me to stop doing drugs. Why, why would a street kid ever want to stop doing that? I didn't think it was like a moral issue. It's like the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden started changing my heart to where I no longer desired those things. I'm telling you, the closer you get to him, he does the work of a repentance in your heart. It's impossible to get close to God while, while living in abundant sin. It just, he changes the things within inside of us. It's almost like sin is a cancer and the presence of God is radiation treatment. And the more we're in his presence, the more of that sin just is expelled from our body. Except without all the like the side effects. <laughs> and so I urge you to just grow closer to him. I, I, I'll even say, end with this. I once told a group of teenagers that I was leading in a small group at a high school. They're all super high. <laughs> all potheads, all, all affiliated. And I just told them, why don't you guys just try next time you smoke weed? I didn't tell them, don't stop right now. Why would they stop? I said, next time you smoke, before you load that bowl, why don't you just pray to God for three minutes? Thank God. Just talk to God. And you will, see, you will begin to see the work of God in your life. And these kids are like, man, I feel like I want to now. See, imagine if you just threw off that barrier of keeping our mindset focused on repentance. I'm not saying that we don't have, that we can, that we should have unbridled sin in our life. I'm not saying that. But if you were to just put your thoughts on chasing after Jesus instead, and those other things you'll just soon forget about. It's like falling in love. I want, to, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and your heart is being pulled, your heart is being pulled, and maybe for you, it's that initial step that I'm talking about, just getting close to Jesus. Maybe you've been putting it off because you've been trying to get perfect first, and you feel this weight off of your shoulders and this urge within your heart to grow closer to him today, to make a decision today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see each of your hands. So right now where you're at, I want you to just have your own private conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead for the sins of the world, that surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a conversation with Jesus yourself, acknowledging who he is and what he did, just starting there and are authentic about it, surely you shall be saved. Telling This is a journey to begin. And you're just saying, God, I want to start walking with you. I want to walk with you. I want to have a change in my life with you in it. You don't have to think about all the other changes you feel like you need. Start with the, this most important one. It says, before you weren't walking with Jesus and now you are. Now, as you guys are praying that and talking to God, if the rest of you, if you're here and you feel just impressed on your heart to take these things that we talked about today serious. We talked about our necessities. We talked about our relationships and we talked about our faith. 
And all we really talked about was opening our eyes to these things and taking it serious, refocusing, getting our heads back in the game of what really matters. If you feel like that is for you, refocusing and all the other things we talked about, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So God, right now, I pray that you solidify your work, solidify what we talked about, solidify what your Holy Spirit is doing on each heart here and finish it, confirm it, seal it, and cause each person to feel your presence right now to be edified in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship, but before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.